there's a difference between computer literacy versus computer science. So most high schools across the United States, the computer lab is really just a bunch of glorified typewriters where students are learning how to type and use office products. Where it's changing now, where uh, many people are understanding the value of computation, computational thinking, and what role computer science has and what computer science even means. Hello, and welcome to Let's Talk Tech a monthly podcast that explores the latest emerging technologies, the people behind them, and how these trends will affect the way we work, live, and play. I'm Stacy Kirkland of Seaspire, and in today's episode, show host Dave Miller interviews Dr. Jeff Gray, a University of Alabama computer science professor and one of the nation's leading experts on the front lines of efforts to integrate computer science in the classroom and Mississippi entrepreneur Kagan Coughlin, co-founder and trustee for the nonprofit Basecamp Coding Academy, which provides minority youth with a fast-paced, year-long vocational training program in computer programming. Join them as they explore how these specialized classroom and vocational training programs promise to help alleviate the shortage of skilled programmers in the U.S. workforce and enable students to develop more critical thinking and problem-solving skills. Welcome to Seaspire's Let's Talk Tech podcast. I'm Dave Miller, and today we're discussing the growing demand for computer programmers in business and industry and the need to boost computer science instruction in America's classrooms to address the shortage. Joining us via phone to talk about this subject is Dr. Jeff Gray, a University of Alabama computer science professor and one of the nation's leading experts on computer science instruction in the classroom. Also on the program today is Kagan Coglin, a businessman who heads a nonprofit organization in a small rural Mississippi town that is launching an innovative vocational technology training program for minority high school students to help meet the computer programming needs of local and regional employers. Welcome to the program, gentlemen. Hi, Dave. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Dave. Good to be here. Great. Well, we're really excited to have both of you on today's program as we learn more about the need to integrate computer science instruction in America's classrooms and community-based efforts to address the historic underrepresentation of minorities in the computer programming field. We'll start with Dr. Gray first. You serve on Code.org's Education Advisory Council, and you've been offering K-12 outreach programs, including summer camps and contests, science fair mentoring, and teacher professional development for over a decade now. Since 2011, you've been a national pilot instructor with the College Board for the upcoming Computer Science Principals course, and you've received the National Science Foundation Career Award and were the 2008 Carnegie Foundation Professor of the Year. Can you give our listeners a brief assessment of where you think American public education is today in embracing the value and importance of computer science and how that is translating to changes in how and what is taught in the classroom? Yeah, so Dave, the past three years, we've seen growing interest uh, and awareness of computing that's probably eclipsed the past 30 years. So there's just been such uh, wide interest in computing the past three years. It's been actually hard to keep up with a lot of the, the exciting things happening. Primarily, the change has been a general understanding that there's a difference between computer literacy versus computer science. So computer literacy is about learning, in general, how applications work, like Microsoft Word, other Microsoft Office products. So most high schools across the United States, the computer lab is really just a bunch of glorified typewriters where students are learning how to type and use office products. Where it's changing now, where uh, many people are understanding the value of computation, computational thinking, and what role computer science has and what computer science even means. 
So some of the states you're asking about that come to mind, you know, Arkansas, the governor actually has a mandate to try to teach computer science in, in every high school. There's been a lot of uh, interest in like New York City and Chicago and Broward County and Florida to bring computer science to almost all of those schools. There's a lot of work with the National Science Foundation with a dozen or so groups that are working through uh, NSF grants to bring computer science. One of the ones here is in Alabama. We currently are teaching 47 uh, high school teachers across our state on uh, computer science principles. And the exciting thing is that 49% of those students are either young women or under, underrepresented minorities, where the traditional AP class, those numbers are in the single digits or, or down in the teens. In, in terms of the interest across the country, Google and Gallup combined for a, uh, and did a poll this past fall, and they had a lot of interesting things that were found. You can find that at csedu.gallup.com. So that was really an eye-opener to many. One thing is that 90% of parents and students want computer science, true computer science in their classrooms, but only 8% of administrators believe that the parent interest is there. So there's a gap between what our administrators in our schools are, are thinking and what our parents and students want. You also asked like, what Mississippi may be doing on the spectrum. The challenge is that this past year, the current computer science AP exam of the college board, there were only five students in the entire state who took the AP exam. There were zero young women and zero African-American students who took that AP exam. So the good news is those five who took it did really well. There were an average of, of over a four on the score. There's a lot of efforts to help with that. I'm really excited to hear what Kagan's uh, going to tell us about his efforts. There's also a new effort that Mississippi State is working on at csforms.org. And I know that Ole Miss is also looking to do a lot of outreach. So some of your higher education institutions are also becoming uh, really interested in, in helping across your state. Wow, it does sound like we are making some significant progress, particularly in the last three years, as you've indicated. I want to switch gears for a minute and talk with Kagan Coglin, who's the co-founder and trustee for an innovative program that's getting underway right here in Mississippi. The nonprofit Base Camp Coding Academy plans to provide minority youth with a fast-paced, year-long vocational training program in computer programming. Once they graduate, the students will be ready for entry-level IT jobs with local and regional companies. Kagan, can you explain how this program developed and where you hope to take it in the future? I'd be happy to, Dave. Thank you. This really began as a conversation early spring of 2015 when I was speaking with Glenn Evans, the president of FNC in Oxford, Mississippi. And he was lamenting all the challenges that they have as a software company headquartered in Mississippi when they are looking for new talent. And... My interest at this point with two young children in Mississippi public schools was with the opportunities for the youth in Mississippi who are going through a public school system, and then some portion of that population that graduates has the opportunity to go to some of our very excellent schools, and we have a very wonderful and broad community college system. But there is a large portion of our population that does not have any opportunity like that to pursue computer science or any other higher learning endeavor. And so we were speaking about this, and Glenn is a former work colleague of mine, and we kept in close contact. And the conversation quickly developed into we could complain about this or we could try to do something about it. And Basecamp Coding Academy was what we, we've developed over the last 10 months or so 
first going through the, the foundational requirement of any education program, which is how to fund it. And we've spent a good amount of time meeting with all of the business leaders across Mississippi and our philanthropic leaders looking at ways of financing what is really an economic development initiative across the state, investing in the future resources for all of our businesses. And we've had amazing success here. I'd like to thank the Ceasefire Foundation, which was one of our first founding sponsors, who fully understood our goal of investing in the youth across Mississippi by the aptitude and the heart to become fantastic programmers and fantastic young folks that will be able to contribute to the growth of the individual companies across the state and whatever they choose to do with the rest of their lives. So the execution of a a fast-paced, rigorous vocational training program has three legs to it. One is the financing, which we have been very successful, and that, that is entirely because of the generosity of companies across Mississippi who are helping finance this initiative, and also the interest from our teaching community. So one of the challenges in educating any young person is finding that person and finding them at the critical time in their life when they are both driven to succeed and have the time and the energy and the support mechanism behind them to make sure that they succeed. So we have been meeting with teaching professionals at the administration level across the high schools within about an hour of our location here in Water Valley, Mississippi, and also with those folks that are in the classroom with high school students every day. And they are our front lines of identifying those young students who have that drive to succeed and no alternate channel to go and pursue that. So what, what we are striving to accomplish with Basecamp is a home for the young, smart, driven Mississippi youth who today does not really have a path to walk when they leave high school. They have some opportunities if they have either those folks in their lives that can show them the scholarship route, if they can find some, some opportunity through financial aid, but oftentimes the channels that, that accept students like that, it's hard to get into a small Mississippi community and identify the students and give them that push from behind and show them where they could go. So our goal is both to identify those youth with the assistance of our teachers across Mississippi and then offer them a 100% scholarship to our one-year program, which will culminate in many of the institutions, the companies across Mississippi that are funding Basecamp Coding Academy as a charity operation will be their future homes for their, the beginning of their career. So this is, in many senses, this is workforce training taken right down to the street level where we will find, with the assistance of anyone who is out there listening and all of our teachers across Mississippi, those students that, given this opportunity, they will excel. And once we have them, in 12 years, we will take them from essentially zero experience with software programming, which, as Dr. Gray covered, is something that hopefully will be rectified in the coming years. But right now, many of our Mississippi high schools do not have the facilities or the education professionals that are trained in this field to even provide a starting point before their graduates leave the high school system. So we will take them from no required experience 
in the software programming arena. And by the time they leave us 12 months later, they will be walking through the doors of some excellent Mississippi companies, and those ban from companies like Seaspire, which would be a telecommunication company in a larger sense, to software companies like FNC in Oxford, to our manufacturing institutions where we have Nissan and Toyota and all these manufacturing bodies that are building physical pieces of equipment, but each piece of equipment has a computer component to it. And our mission includes both the education component as well as mentoring these young professionals when they leave us through the first several years of their career. We expect to meet with them, buy them lunch, bi-monthly, check in on how their employment is going, and hopefully bring them back to function as mentors for the subsequent classes at Basecamp. That's great information. I appreciate the background on your program. You obviously have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This next question, I really wanted to ask both of you to address it. It's really about, and let me let me try to phrase the question properly, but it's really about trying to find that balance between what Dr. Gray talked about earlier in promoting computer literacy and the, the, the benefits, the ancillary benefits that we get from that in terms of helping all uh, students develop and achieve that kind of core competency and that kind of analytical thinking skills versus the on-the-street type of effort that you have going, Kagan, where you're really taking a, a population that doesn't really have a whole lot of other alternatives and giving them a hope and an opportunity that they might not otherwise have. How do you balance all of that between pursuing this, you know, these issues and these challenges for the right reasons? I guess that's how I would phrase it. From my perspective, my goal personally, and I think this is also uh, many of the national uh, efforts that are going on across the country, it's not to convert every student to computer science. What we're working on uh, for many efforts is really just about trying to raise awareness. That's the first level of need in, in many places. Most high schools, when I walk in and talk to students, they cannot even give me a definition of software. So we're trying to just let those students realize that software is all around them in their daily life, uh, whether it's a phone they wear to you know some folks who have medical devices or you know pacemakers or software there, the cars they drive, just raising their awareness. And then the second thing, Dave, that you mentioned is the idea of computational thinking itself helping in the logical kind of analytical problem-solving space. So what we've seen with, with some of these efforts like the Hour of Code, where you know millions of students have had a chance to learn programming in a very fun way, it's um, problem-solving. So those are really like little puzzles that students get engaged in, and it's fun engaging. There's Star Wars there. There's uh, Elsa and Anna and, and Angry Birds. So the, being able to draw and engage the students in, getting them hooked on something that's actually all about uh, problem solving. Another thing that we saw, aside from being, uh, you know, teaching that software is useful in many domains, is to promote this idea of a growth mindset. So this is a very popular term in education circles. It's all about helping students develop the grit or persistence needed to stick to a task. And the puzzles we see in many of these K-12 efforts are engaging and the students keep wanting to work with those. So those kind of things have benefits beyond even coding. So yes, it's very useful to, to make sure that the students get a, a deep understanding, but in, in many places, we're just trying to even get the awareness out of what computing really is. And Kagan, I would also address this question to you. What about your program? Obviously, there's some practical 
you know, elements of what you're trying to do because you have a very fast-paced, you know, year-long curriculum that you're trying to get these motivated kids out the door with an opportunity to land a job with a company that is in sore need of their skills. How do you balance what Dr. Gray is talking about, developing this ancillary benefit of, you know, kind of stick to and analytical skills to solve problems that are really needed right now with the need to, you know, get the program done and get the curriculum completed? I actually, I love the question because it, it brings to light a conversation that I have over and over again with folks that still perceive coding or software programming as someone sitting in a dark room looking at a black and green screen and writing some secret language that will impact some major machine somewhere across the world. The world has changed drastically in the last 20 years so that everything we touch, and Dr. Gray gave a great rundown of, there really, you are hard pressed to find a component of our world that has not accelerated in a technology field to a point where there is so much information available. There are so many mechanisms we have that we have these amazing opportunities to streamline with a piece of software, taking lots of information. And really all programming is, is having the ability to think logically to a future scenario where a human being is not present and laying out a path for decisions where if it's a website, when someone arrives, there's software there determining what elements are presented at what opportune time so that that person experiences whatever they're looking to experience when they went to that address, all the way down to traction control in a vehicle that a piece of software needs to determine which wheel turns when, depending on slippage rates. And so to talk about programming as a finite, kind of a narrow bandwidth for learning is an interesting, but I think no longer relevant way of speaking about programming. The other side about learning more globally, this is very much a problem-solving logical training of any young adult or grown adult. Their way of thinking about anything. Oftentimes, I like to go and we have a thriving chess club in our local public school here in Water Valley. And I can tell sitting and watching the young folks playing chess, you can just tell how their brains are working and it's exercising not just one component of the brain, but it's getting them trained to think and problem solve. And they can take that and apply that anywhere. So we are excited at training in our short bandwidth. We're training how to write software code, uh, how to problem solve in a very specific field, depending on where our graduates will end up working but it is also equipping them to learn for the rest of their lives in whatever field they go and specialize in. Well, I appreciate that. That's that's a great answer. I'd like both of you to respond to this next question. There's been some good news for the computer science field in recent months. Last fall, Congress added provisions in the new education bill that includes computer science and the definition of well-rounded education subjects in the Every Student Succeeds Act, which effectively puts it on equal footing with other subjects like math and science when local and state policymakers decide how to dole out federal education funds. But here's the thing I want both of you to try to address is sometimes we, we tend to have this idea that, well, it's law now and, you know, we've solved the problem. But making it the law and developing policies and curriculum to make 
computer science and everyday reality in the classroom, it's really two different things. How optimistic are both of you that real progress can be made to help students become more well-rounded learners and erase the growing shortage of qualified candidates for the estimated now 1.4 million computer programming job openings that we're predicting the U.S. companies will need in just four years. We'll start with Dr. Gray. Well, I'm very optimistic on this for for several reasons. The new um, federal act also helps those of us who are trying to provide, for example, professional development and work with curriculum access to more grants. So the problem with the past is that much of the other STEM areas, mainly the science and math areas, dominated the funding levels. So we had less access to be able to go out and help those who have a desire to learn more, particularly training teachers and so on. So there's going to be more opportunities for uh, those who want to help at the federal level. And um, other things I would suggest is just not rely on the federal level. I mean, if you look at what's happened in Arkansas, um, in our own state in Alabama, we work with the Department of Ed at the highest level. So the superintendent of our Department of Education in Alabama is really on board with this. He, He goes out and does these hour of code puzzles with students. And the other uh, members of the Department of Ed we worked with, we were able to get this new course to be able to count as a uh, math elective in Alabama. So we're one of the 18 or so states now that have math counting uh, for this new CS principles course. So those are kind of things that send a message out across the state, not just federal level, but the state that, hey, there's opportunity here. And then, of course, the issue of curriculum, a lot of folks addressing that just the past three months. A group from Code.org, the Computer Science Teachers Association, and the Association for Computing Machinery began what's called the new K-12 CS framework. So this is an alignment of computer science principles across all different grade levels, what should be taught there, how it might even be integrated with existing other federal standards, whether it's Common Core or some other standard that may be met. So those kind of things of pulling computer science out of its own discipline, as well as showing how it can integrate with the other disciplines is a goal that a lot of people are looking at now, and there's a lot of recent movement and efforts that are trying to pursue that. That's great. Kagan, what about from your perspective? I'd have to say, listening to Dr. Gray, I'm more optimistic now. <laughs> from a different direction, I've spent a great deal of time in our local high schools as I speak with teachers explaining what we're starting here with Basecamp and asking for their assistance in identifying those prospective students. And what I've seen is there, with all the challenges that we have, especially with the changing curriculum and the testing requirements and the testing calendar in most of our public schools, that to have a public policy come in and adopt something that will fix our computer science shortcomings is, I feel, it's a, it's a long road. And I'm optimistic that all these things that Dr. Ray covered are coming along. But what I've seen is that even outside of having computer science as something that is on on the required class list for our current public schools, the way that they are learning all of their subjects is becoming more and more technology-focused. So I have two young children that are in first and second grade, and they use more software programs in their daily classroom learning for reading and math and science than I saw 15 years, well, more than 15 years ago now, when I was in high school. So they are programs like iReady and even the testing mechanisms that we use for, in Mississippi, testing for state and federal funding, all of that requires the students to spend time in front of a computer learning some basic uses, which will make 
our job at Basecamp and the adoption of any computer science curriculum much easier for the student body that's already enrolled today. Thank you. Dr. Gray, you're on the front lines of efforts to more closely integrate computer science instruction in the classroom. In your view, how much progress is being made in developing age-appropriate computer science curriculum so that children learn critical thinking and refine transferable skills like sequencing along with other logical problem-solving and algorithmic thinking concepts that they can apply to other subjects like math and English and music theory? Is it possible to get kids across a broad spectrum to literally think about thinking? A process that I know is referred to as metacognition that has proven benefits in a lot of different areas, including self-monitoring and independent learning. What's your perspective on this? So thinking about the idea of what kind of age-appropriate tools or curriculum is available, there's a large amount of new tools that are being developed. For example, young children using Scratch Junior, there's no words. It's all about symbols, so students can learn to program using arrow buttons and things like that. Uh, In the code.org K-5 curriculum, I'm facilitating some instruction on that. Uh, The CS Fundamentals course is particularly for kindergarten through fifth grade. We've had a chance to train over 700 teachers. And and by the way, we've had some Mississippi teachers uh, also come over to that training. So that's also age appropriate. So there's three courses in that sequence, uh, some for earlier non-readers. And we also use the idea of computer science unplugged, where we're not always needing to be in a computer lab and in front of a computer. We're teaching ideas of computation and thinking and problem solving without a computer in a fun way that's almost like kinesthetic learning. The students are up and moving around the classroom, and and it's a lot of fun. Regarding the topic of um, other subjects, math, English, and music theory, one of the things we're looking at in particular with the new College Board AP exam is to really highlight the idea of creativity. In fact, creativity is one of the so-called seven big ideas of of this new course. And we we have one in, in Birmingham that is uh, a school of fine arts, and they have a math and science division, but all of their art students take this computer science principles course. And it's really exciting because those students are creating artifacts in computing, but using their really deep creative skills that they have in art and music. So those kind of connections are really strong and exciting to explore, where we look at creativity and also the global impact of computing, in addition to talking about algorithms and programming and and other other types of things. So the whole idea of um, independent learning, some of these things can be done online. And I think, you know, in general, online education is a challenge for, for many students, but the way that some of the efforts of Code.org and some of these others that, that have online tools, even like um, Khan Academy, they have these online tools and, and quizzes and different environments that you can use. So those are really helping students even progress and, and do these kind of activities in an independent way and being able to think about computing in ways that it might apply to their daily life, and they can begin this self-monitoring and understanding how computation involves them in their daily life. I appreciate those insights, Dr. Gray. Uh, Thanks for that. I'd like both of you to respond to my last question, which gets at the heart of whether these efforts we've been discussing can ultimately be successful. Some parents are concerned that focusing primarily on students in our efforts to gain more exposure to computer science in the classroom could overlook the other half of the equation, teachers. 
As both of you know, many teachers lack a basic understanding of technology and have even less background in programming, which could potentially create barriers and hurdles for more timely and widespread adoption and implementation of updated curriculum. Are there any strategies designed to overcome these potential impediments? We'll start with Mr. Coughlin, and I'd like you to tell our audience how you are addressing this knowledge gap and the selection of instructors for the Basecamp Coding Academy program. That also is a great question. And Dr. Gray, when we first started, mentioned the Gallup poll, which really points out the gap between our education professionals today and their understanding of the need for computer science on the curriculum versus what the parents and students feel. And something about computer science, this field is changing very quickly. While many of the foundational languages uh, were developed in the late 80s and early 90s, their application and the things that they can do on mobile phones, on apps, on, on gaming systems these days, they are accelerating so quickly into what is possible that as, at Basecamp we could hire the best in their field as our, as our teacher in the classroom, and if they went into a box for six months, they would be out of date. And so the continuing education component for computer science is so critical. And that will apply to our own teachers as well as to all the efforts around adding to the teacher certification across the nation, a computer science component. This is a field where the core foundation is learning how to learn and continue your own education. Our graduates will enter the workforce ready to continue learning. That is our goal. There is no end game, check this box, and now you're good to go for a foreseeable amount of time. That's great. Dr. Gray, what about from your perspective? I know you've been involved in actually development of curriculum and teacher training, so I'd be interested in your view as well. Yeah, the teacher professional development is the um, million-dollar question, quite literally, or you know, multi-million-dollar question. The challenge is that most of the teachers that were asked to teach computer science has very little background and no background at all. So the idea is we, we generally would bring teachers up to speed, like high school teachers would be in the college board, one-week APSI, just simply don't work. We have to have training that's much deeper. We do our training on our National Science Foundation grant it's over two years. So there's one year of training, we come back and revisit uh, topics. So we have math uh, teachers and also career tech teachers, and they go through a curriculum that in training process is over 120 hours each year. And so the vision of Jan Cuny, the National Science Foundation leader on this, she coined the term of the CSNK movement. So her goal was to train 10,000 teachers across the United States and to explore ways in which that might be done. And there's no quick solution. You just cannot train a, a teacher. It's equivalent to bringing an English teacher in high school uh, into a way to teach uh, AB calculus uh, in one week. That's just impossible, and it takes uh, some time, uh, some patience with the teachers, their understanding to working and giving them all the resources. So there, there are a lot of efforts out there. This National Science Foundation effort for training, as we mentioned, we're just ending our project in Alabama after three years. There's Project Lead the Way, which um, is engineering education through K-12. They have a computer science pathway. The code.org activities and efforts are available. And uh, there's many other groups. 
Outfitter Training. The beauty and joy of computing out of uh, California, Berkeley, has some free training as well for teachers that go on for a long time. So I just wanted to stress this is probably actually the heart of the problem is bringing out the way to equip our teachers to be effective educators in an area they've never really seen before and the long-term commitment we have to training them. It just can't be done in, in one week. Uh, it'll be, we'll be doomed to failure, and if we do it that way, actually it'll be probably worse than doing anything because what will happen, those students in those classes will become um, disengaged and not like the classes. Teachers will not be prepared. We really have to take our time and be patient, but this is probably the most critical issue to me personally in this whole space. Wow, I really, really appreciate those insights, Dr. Gray. As we've learned today, integrating computer science instruction and computer literacy in the 21st century classroom is crucial to our success. And I appreciate the time both of you have spent with us on the program. If you'd like to learn more about K-12 computer science education in your state, go to www.co.org. To learn more about Dr. Gray's computer science training workshops, go to http colon forward slash forward slash gray dot cs dot ua dot edu. And you can follow the progress of the Basecamp Coding Academy at www.basecampcodingacademy.org. Thanks again, gentlemen, for coming on today's program, and we'll look forward to catching up with you soon. Thanks. I had a great time. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. You can follow Jeff Gray on Twitter at jgray at UA. To learn more about Gray's computer science workshops, go to http colon forward slash forward slash gray dot cs dot ua dot edu. You can follow the progress of the Basecamp Coding Academy at www.basecampcodingacademy.org. To find out how you can support K-12 computer science education in your state, go to www.code.org. If you like the show, subscribe through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Join us next time as we talk with the founder and past president of the American Telemedicine Association on how technology is revolutionizing the delivery of healthcare across the U.S. Learn about a Mississippi success story, the University of Mississippi Medical Center's telehealth program, and how it has quickly become a national leader in the use of connected care, resulting in lower costs, better patient access to specialists, and saved lives. Discover why the state, not generally known as a leader in healthcare, is one of only seven nationwide to receive an A rating from the ATA for its progressive telehealth policies and programs.